My heart is drawn to a little text in the Minor Prophets today. It's, it's called the Book of Nahum. The Book of Nahum, N-A-H-U-M. It's one of the 12 Minor Prophets. And in um, Nahum chapter 1, verse 1, there are 12 minor prophets after Ezekiel, Daniel, there's Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. And in the middle of there is a little book, it's called, a, it's a minor prophet, not minor because the message is minor, but it's minor because of the size of the message, but the truth is just as equal to every other truth in the scripture. And in Nahum chapter one, the Lord said in verse one, the message concerning Nineveh came as a vision to Nahum. In verse two, the Lord is a jealous God. In verse 3, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. In verse 7, the Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him. In verse 15, it's the key because Jesus is, is in all 12 of the minor prophets. In verse 15, chapter 1, look, a messenger is coming over the mountains with good news. He is bringing a message of peace. Nahum was a prophet with a message. His name means comfort or compassion. He was raised up by God because God wanted him to say something, whereas Jonah was sent to Nineveh to give the people opportunity to repent. Nahum was called to announce that Nineveh's judgment was imminent. Nahum continues the story that began in Jonah. But now it's 100 years later, after the time of, of Jonah. The Assyrians have returned to their wicked ways, They've conquered the northern tribes, the ten tribes of Israel, and now they're doing their best to overpower Judah in the south, uh, these two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. And God's people needed a word from the Lord. So what's the big idea in Nahum? What's the big idea? Charles Swindell writes that although Nahum lived in a dark time, God had a word for his people then, and God has a, peop- a word for his people now. How many of you know that God is still speaking to us? He's speaking to us through the word of the Lord. What's the word of the Lord? Swindoll says that God is fully aware of what Judah is going through. God's justice is always right and sure, and God can choose to grant mercy for a time, but his mercy will never uh, compromise his justice in the end. Swindoll says Nahum's message is a gospel message because God was gracious in a time filled with all types of idolatry. God was kind by sending Nahum to comfort those who were being oppressed, and God was revealing his power in a hopeless situation. And God gives us hope today as we see the darkness within our own hearts. How many of you know only God can satisfy and change our human hearts? Only God can do that. In fact, in 1974, at the age of 19, I just, I think about it, I think about it often. I went from, I, somebody gives me a gospel track, I read the track, I pray a prayer of salvation on an airplane, I walk off the air, airplane a born-again believer, my parents never took me to church once. Let me give a hope to you parents and grandparents. Your, your son or your daughter, your brother, your sister, your mother, and your father may run from God, but remember this, God is not getting tired. I went from the Beatles to the Bible, Jimi Hendrix to Jimmy Swaggart, and Guns N' Roses to God and Moses. I discovered that only God could change my human heart. 
So what's the message of relevance? I, I want to drop four thoughts in your mind. Do you have it on your bulletin? If you have a pen or a pencil, just write down four words. My four wisdom discoveries from the minor prophet known as Nahum. And here they are. Number one, because God is jealous, his love won't leave us alone. In chapter one, verse two, the scripture says, the Lord is a jealous God. Now, what does it mean that God is jealous? It means that God deserves total obedience and will not permit any rivals. It's the jealousy of a husband over his wife or the mother over her child. God is jealous over his people for his glory, therefore he must punish sin. In other words, here's the story, the context. Israel's 10 tribes were overcome and captured, and Judah's two tribes were being oppressed by the wicked Assyrians. And God promised Nahum that he would restore his people. But right now, God's people are under siege. His people are wondering if God had forgotten them. So God raises up Nahum to prophesy that God loves his people too much to forsake them and ever leave them alone. In other words, God would be so jealous for his glory and his name that he would bring vengeance upon the adversaries. God promises vindication against all wrongs against his people. In fact, Charles Spurgeon said, God cannot let the guilty go free out of a false sense of compassion because sin must be accounted for because God will not acquit the wicked. What's that mean? Follow with me. In other words, every sin will be paid for, either in hell or at the cross. It's our choice. And God has never pardoned or blotted out sin without punishment. Why? Because God is jealous for his glory and his name and his reputation in your heart. In Isaiah 36 and 37, the Assyrian armies came down to slaughter Jerusalem. They taunted Hezekiah who said, and said, you're toast. It's over. Hezekiah that night asked God to save the city with the Assyrians surrounding it. That night, one angel slew 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. You know why? Because God is jealous over his people. And God was drawing his people back to himself. And today, God, by his spirit, won't leave us alone when we drift get detoured, become distracted. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. Know why? Not because God is against you. It's just the opposite, because God loves you. And he's jealous over you, and he sees you, and he knows your future, and he sees your potential. And so God is jealous. Nahum says, God is jealous. He's weaning our hearts from lesser affections today and gods, and idols, and poor substitutes that always leave us what? Longing for more. It's not because God is selfish. It's because God wants what's best for you because God knows nothing down here will satisfy the innermost longing of our hearts. God knows that. So what does it mean today that God is jealous? It's very simple. Jealousy has to do with what you already have. Envy is the pain Envy has to do with what someone else has, and envy is the pain we feel when someone else has something that we want. And excuse me, but God doesn't envy anybody or anything. In Psalm 50, verse 10, 11, and 12, God says, everything in the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills is mine, everything in the field is mine, and in verse 12, I don't need anything, for the world is mine. What's that mean? That means that God isn't envious. He's jealous for his name, 
his reputation and his glory in our world and in your heart. That's why he's weaning all of our hearts today from lesser things. Not because God needs something, but because we need something. Now, in 1974, my sins were forgiven when I repented, but Jesus still wasn't the Lord of my heart. I wanted my parents' approval. And so, because of that, I resisted the call of God for several weeks and kept running and running. I wanted my girlfriend's approval. She picked me up at the airport the day I was saved. Her name was Barbara. Barbara Roach, R-O-A-C-H. My teenagers used to tell me, Dad, you almost married a roach. Now, if your last name is Roach, I apologize. It's not your fault. I wanted her approval, but I was torn because she didn't want Jesus. I loved my new Volkswagen, but the Lord asked me to give it to a married couple in Bible school because they had two schedules in one car. I was, I was uh, in love with my baseball card collection, and then one day the Holy Spirit spoke to me during a building program and said, those cards are meaningless on your shelf. And they were all the favorite Baltimore Orioles. That's not very good news right now, the Orioles, okay? I'm glad I sold them for, how many think it was a good idea to sell the baseball cards, get the money while you could, because the Orioles were really good back then, like 100 years ago, but I love my uniform. I love my fiance in Bible school. Uh, I remember getting engaged and going to Bible college, and, and uh, during a missions convention, I, at, the, at an altar like this, I, I, gave, I gave the Lord my heart. And I called my fiance from the dorm that night and said, I think we're going to go to the mission field. And she said, I'm I'm not sure. I said, well, yeah, you love me, don't you? She said, yes. I said, we're engaged, aren't we? She said, yes. I said, you have the diamond ring? She said, yes. I said, then you're going to go with me? She said, nay, nay. She said, you need to pray about it. I said, what do you mean? She said, it's either God or me. Just that morning, I had memorized Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else you'll ever need will be added unto you. I said, I don't need to pray. I don't need to fast for 26 days. I don't need to call Pastor Randy Ches. I got my answer. Here's my answer. Put the ring in the mail and send it back. She said, you're not going to come and get it? I said, oh, no. Gas is 32 cents a gallon. I'm not driving back to Pennsylvania to get gasoline. There's not a chance. Put that, put that sucker in the mail and just send it Just send it back. Yeah, but I said, there's no buts about it. Why? Because Jesus was after my heart. Excuse me, but if only. What's the moral of the story? God is jealous because he wants what's best for you. Yeah, but if only, we've all heard them, right? If only I had that job, I'd be happy. If only I was the boss. If only I was skinnier. If only I was in charge at work. If only I could win the lottery. If only, if only, if only my teeth were whiter. If only I was married, I'd be happy. No, you wouldn't. If you're not happy when you're single, you won't be happy when you're married. Marriage was never intended to make an unhappy person happy. Only God can satisfy the longing of your heart. Oh, yeah, but if only people, if only. What do the if onlys reveal? Here's what they reveal. They reveal that created things have no power to leave our hearts content. Because every created thing is meant to point us to God, who can do two things, satisfy and transform our hearts. 
Why can't created things bring significance to your heart or mind? Because physical things get old and they break down. Relationships and people fail. Our bodies deteriorate. Flowers die, food spoils, cars rust, clothes wear out, silver tarnishes, Super Bowls and World Series are forgotten, curtains fade, vacations end, applause stops, even chewing gum gets old. That's why Paul said, for people have traded the truth about God for a lie, for they worship created things instead of the creator himself. Why is it so damaging? Martin Luther said it this way, whatever your heart clings to and confides in is really your God. John Calvin said the human heart is a factory of idols. Matt Papa said the essence of idolatry is that we look to the world to give us something it was never designed to give us. Thomas Oden said an idol becomes an idol when without it we cannot receive life joyfully. Paul David Tripp said if there's something you think you cannot live without, it's become an idol and a God to you. Every idol says you will die trying to have me. Jesus is the one master that says, I will die to have you. Remember, heaven isn't for people afraid of going to hell. Heaven is for people who love Jesus above every lesser God on planet earth. Remember, if appearance is your God, you'll starve yourself to death. If success is your God, you'll work yourself to death. If control is your God, you'll worry yourself to death. If impressing people is your God, you'll talk yourself to death. If health is your God, you'll exercise yourself to death. If money is your God, you'll hoard yourself to death. You'll be a taker, not a giver. If stuff is your God, you'll collect yourself to death. If perfectionism is your God, you'll beat yourself to death. If pleasure is your God, you'll spend yourself to death. If food is our God, we'll eat ourselves to death. If self is our God, we'll worship ourselves. We'll serve, we'll serve a useful Jesus. Many people think that God is good when they pull up into Walmart on a Saturday morning and it's pouring raining. And they say, oh, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I know you're good, but I know you're good, but Lord, let me have that parking spot, Lord. Lord. And, 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 they, and they say things like, oh, if they can find a parking spot, they say, oh, God is good. But God forbid that we'd have to walk for 30 feet through the rain. How many of you know God is always good whether you get a spot or don't get a spot? God is always good. Always good. Has nothing to do with parking spots. Many people come to Jesus and want to know the minimal requirements to get to heaven. Now, excuse me. This is to help you if you're single, dating, or engaged. If you're proposing in marriage, would you ask your fiance, honey... What are the minimal requirements for me to stay married to you? That's not a good premise to build a relationship. Jeremiah said, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, your fathers went from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless. They went after things that do not profit. In other words, the people became what they were chasing after. What's the takeaway? Worthless idols Leave us feeling worthless. In Jonah 2.8, the Lord said, those who cling to empty idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. What's that mean? Every idol and lesser God on earth leaves us empty. How do we know? How do we know if we're free from idols? Good question. Here's how. When we begin serving the Lord, not in order to get things from him, but just for him and for his glory, 
for his own sake and for the joy of knowing him. It's the only safe place. Say it with me, safe place. Safe place. The gal on American Idol three summers ago, she's 21 years old, she said, if I don't win this contest, my life is over. I thought to myself, she's only 21. It's just a song. It's just a contest. My second discovery is this. Because God is merciful, he hasn't given us what we deserve. How many of you thank God that God hasn't given you what you deserve? Oh, doesn't it bother you when you hear people say, well, I deserve, I deserve, I'm entitled, I deserve, I'm entitled, I deserve. I'm at a pastor's school over in Worcester, Massachusetts. It's a Friday night. I'm there with 55 pastors on the next day. The superintendent said, just pour yourself out and, and for, a, for a healthy pastors. And the big shot was going to be in the big sanctuary with 1,200 people. And I had the 55 pastors across southern New England. And the big shot came in on Friday. Now, I'll never forget, he, he came in the door. I was setting up in the gym. He got in late. I just drove 10, 10 hours from Niagara Falls and he went, he saw me and he went like this. And then he went like this. Now I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. And so I ran over and said, yes, sir. He said, set me up over here. Oh, Kimosavi, yes. Oh, yes, sir. Shine your shoes too. Absolutely, yes. I set him up. And then he said, uh, he said, hey, you. And I knew my mother had given me a name. And then he said, I'm, I'm tired. I almost said a non Christian thing like, so what? The world is run by tired men. Shut up, suck it up, move on. But oh, I'm a Christian. I went back to my room that night. I got down by the motel bed. I'll never forget it, near Boston, or Worcester. And I, I got down by the bed and I said to myself, God help me to never forget where I have been, where you've brought me to, and help me never forget I have what I have, I am what I am, all by the grace of the living God. How many of you thank God tonight? God has not given you what you deserve. Did Israel and Judah deserve the mercy of God? Of course not. So what does it mean that God is slow to anger? Are you ready for this? It means that God is long-suffering and gives us time to consider to repent and be saved. That's why you're here today. That's why God woke you up. You often, you'll hear this, oh, they're a self-made man. Really? <laughs> they're a self-made woman. Really? Who, who gave birth to them? Who, who, who decided where they would be born? Who, to who they would be born to? Who decided where they would grow up? Who gave you our, who gave us our eyes, our ears, our voice, our feet? Who gave it all to us? John in 3, 327 says, a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. First Corinthians, Paul said, what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you have been given it, why then do you boast? How many of you know everything we have on planet earth is by the grace of God and that produces a grateful spirit? A grateful spirit. 
Nineveh repented under the preaching of, no, of Jonah, but Nineveh returned to whoredoms, witchcraft, idolatry, and cruelty. And for 100 years, God didn't give Nineveh, Nineveh what they deserved. You know why? He was slow to anger, but God's justice is not opposed to his mercy. So Nineveh was destroyed. What's the takeaway? Here's the takeaway. Never confuse God's patience with his approval. Peter one day said to Jesus in Matthew 19, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. Now what's in it for us? Feeling a little undervalued, underappreciated. And uh, it's, it's hard to believe that he would say that after walking with Jesus like this. What's in it for us? And Jesus gave a great parable in Matthew chapter 20, 16 verse response to Peter to teach us one simple truth. The root cause of all complaints is when a person feels like they're not getting what they deserve. And the truth of the matter is we don't want what we deserve because I deserve judgment. But God has been good to you and God has been good to me. John Ortberg, or John Ortberg wrote a book. It's entitled, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. <laughs> it's a true story and the true story is about a man named John Gilbert. Listen to this. John Gilbert only lived to age 25. When John was five years old, he was diagnosed with Duchenne's muscular dystrophy a genetic progressive debilitating disease. It would claim his life 20 years later, but not before subtracting everything from him. Every year, John Gilbert lost something. In time, he lost the ability to do the outward things we take for granted, even the ability to speak. But there was one moment that stood out. It happened when he was invited to a National Football League fundraising auction. When it began, one particular item called John's Eye, a basketball signed by all the players of the Sacramento Kings. John was so desperately wanted that ball that when it came time up for bid, he felt his hand raise up in the air. His mother quickly brought it down, knowing they didn't have the funds to cover any bid. The bidding on the basketball continued with excitement. It rose to an astounding amount compared to other items at the auction. Finally, a man made a bid that no one else could possibly match and won the prize. The man walked to the front, claimed the basketball, but instead of going back to his seat, the man walked across the room and placed it into the thin, small hands of the boy who would never dribble the ball down the court, never throw it to a teammate, never fired from the foul line, but would cherish it as long as he lived. John Gilbert, while he was still able, wrote these words. I quote, It took me a moment to realize what the man had done. I remember hearing gasps all around the room. Then thunderous applause and weeping eyes. To this day, I'm amazed, John said. Have you ever been given a gift that you could have never gotten for yourself? Has anyone ever sacrificed a huge amount for you without getting anything in return? How many of you are grateful that God is merciful and he hasn't given us what we deserve? My third wisdom discovery is this. Because God is powerful, he's always in control. In chapter 1, verse 3, the clouds are the dust of his feet. Verse 4, the, he rebukes the sea and makes it dry. Look at this. Verse 5, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt, the earth heaves before him. Why does Nahum say all this? Here's why. Because the cruel Assyrians ruled most of the world when Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah lived. 
In 722 BC, Assyria defeated Israel. The Assyrians took the people from Israel back to Assyria. Nineveh became the capital of Assyria. High walls, Nineveh, long walls, 600,000 people in Nineveh. Uh, Palaces, temples, libraries, buildings where Nineveh's people met to uh, praise their gods and their images. What is Nahum saying? He's saying nobody in Judah ever thought that anyone could defeat the Assyrians in Nineveh. It was absolutely impossible. Nobody believed that anyone could destroy Nineveh with the ruling Assyrians in charge. Impossible. The people thought that Assyria was much too strong for anyone to overcome its wicked influence. Impossible. But God calls this guy, Nahum, to stand up and speak something. Tell them, Nahum, tell them, God will break the power of the Assyrians. God will destroy the city of Nineveh. God will save his people who trust in him. And in verse 8 of chapter 1, with an overwhelming flood, God will make an utter end of Nineveh. In other words, today, just like God sent the Babylonians to destroy the sinful Assyrians, so God will send a Savior to deliver our sinful hearts. Here's what God is saying here. When you see what you see is improbable and impossible, God says, I see as possible, as doable, and certain when Jesus comes with good news. Nahum's prophecy is for today. What do you mean, preacher? Well, three, four days ago at Camp Champion, uh, with their Spiritual Emphasis Week with a Teen Challenge, I stood in front of 220 Teen Challenge students who have been, who have struggled with heroin and cocaine and alcohol and prostitution and anger and rebellion. And you know what happened? 220 students are there worshiping God and, and praising God. And 29 of them got baptized in the lake. 29 got baptized in the cold waters of Camp Champion on Wednesday. What am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. That God still has the power because of Jesus to deliver everything every person of anything that's not God's will for your life. You can't do it. I can't do it. I'm not going to give you some rah-rah speech to this morning, two bits, four bits, six bits, a dollar all for Jesus. Stand up and holler. That won't do it. Here's what will do it. When you see that Jesus died for you, the law of the Spirit, the law of the Spirit has overcome the law of sinful flesh. When you believe that, faith is exercised. Jesus has absolutely made it possible for you and I to be free from the things that would rob us of our future potential. Only God can do that. That's why he sent Jesus. So like God intervened with the flood and Noah, like God intervened with miracles during Elijah and the prophets, like God intervened with the Exodus, so Jesus will visibly return, make his presence visible and undeniable. And Nahum, Nahum has a New Testament theme through it. While we live in a sinful, broken world, God is still powerful. He is still sovereign. He's still ultimately in control. And God has a timetable that is certain. What's it mean to you and me? Here's what it means. Are you ready for this? It means, I know you hear a lot about other stuff on the news right now, but here's what it means to you and I today. It means you can rest well and you can trust God with the things and the people outside of your control. My teenagers, when they were growing up, Robbie and Bethany would say, Dad, when they'd see me uptight, they would say, Dad, you need to chill. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, you need to chill. 
You need to chill. You need to chill. I believe that worry is accepting responsibility God never intended for you to carry. C.S. Lewis said, worry is not believing that God will get it right. One scholar said the purpose of Nahum's book is to announce the fall of Nineveh and thereby comfort Judah with assurance that God is in control. Would you say that with me? God is in control? So here's a question for you. What's consuming your thoughts? What are you most worried about? What's causing stress and anxiety inside of you? What do you need to turn over to God? What is it that God is asking you to relinquish and hand over? One day a teacher walked around a room while teaching stress stress management to an audience. She raised a glass of water and asked, how heavy is this glass of water? Students called out answers that ranged from 8 ounces to 20 ounces. She replied, the absolute weight doesn't matter. It depends on how long I hold it. If I hold it for a minute, it's not a problem. If I hold it for an hour, I'll have an ache in my arm. If I hold it for a day, my arm will feel numb and paralyzed. In each case, the weight of the glass doesn't change. But the longer I hold it, the heavier it becomes. She she then said the stresses and worries in life are like the glass of water. Think about them for a while and nothing happens. Think about them a bit longer and they begin to hurt. And if you think about them all day long, you will feel paralyzed and capable of doing anything. What's the takeaway? Put the glass down. My last wisdom discovery, and I'm finished, is number four. God, because God is good, his character is worthy to be trusted. Look at verse seven. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trust in him. What does that really mean? Here's the key to the whole book and the message of this morning. How do we know that God is good? Verse 15. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. So while Nahum's prophecy is about God overcoming Nineveh and the sin and the power of the Assyrians, how does it relate to you today at Word of Life? Here's how. Verse 15, behold the feet of him who brings good news and publishes peace. Every scholar is in agreement that this points to Jesus coming in person. He's the one referred to in Nahum chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus will fulfill or absorb God's judgment on your behalf and mine. Isaiah 52, 7, Romans 10, 15, both repeat Nahum chapter 1, 15. How beautiful are the feet of, the, of them that what? Preach the gospel that produces peace. In other words, like God rescued Judah and Nineveh from the wickedness of the Assyrians, so God will rescue you and me from the wickedness of sin's control in Jesus. As Nineveh was the powerful political arm of the Babylonian Empire and was cut off, subdued, and overthrown by God's power, so the gospel, or the good news of Jesus, will cut off, subdue, and overthrow the idols and sinful affections of our hearts. In other words, here, get this. It was impossible Judah and Israel said it's impossible for the Assyrians to be overthrown and for Nineveh to be be, uh, be destroyed. And guess what God did? 
God raised the level of the Tigris River. The river began to, the water began to rush into the city of Nineveh. It washed away the gates and the doors off their foundation. The Babylonians came in, overtook, destroyed Nineveh, and it's never risen again. What is God saying? All of the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus. And God is good today. Give thanks to the Lord for he is what? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what? The Bible defines God's goodness this way. Psalm 119, 68. You are good, and you only do what is good. So God is good in his nature. He's good in his actions. He's morally good. It comes natural for him. He's good in his actions. How does God reveal his goodness to us, to you today? Some of you are wondering, this has happened to me in my life. Is God still good? Some of you are tempted to be angry at God because of things that have happened to family members or your own life. And you're tempted to wonder, is, is God still good to me? How can you always know in every season that God is good? Colossians 1.15, the Bible says Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In other words, Jesus is God's goodness to us all. He demonstrated God's desire to be good to you by taking your judgment and your sins that we deserved upon, him, upon himself. The amazing substitution of God's son in our place on the cross is the undisputed picture of his, unmer his unmerited goodness. And how do we respond today at Word of Life to the goodness of God? Paul said in Romans 2, it's God's kindness and goodness that leads us to repentance. We recognize God's goodness and leads us to repentance and gratefulness and surrender and submission and obedience and humility. Why is this truth so important today? Get this. God's justice means that he must punish sin. On the other hand, God's mercy means that he longs to pardon and forgive sin. So how is the tension resolved between justice and mercy? One place, at the cross. It's at the cross where sins are both punished and pardoned. In other words, Jesus takes the punishment, and guess what? You and I get the pardon. How many of you thank God for good news this morning? How many of you thank God for the goodness of God? And it's God's kindness and, that leads us to say, yes, God, I know you're jealous. I know you haven't given me what I deserve. I know you're all powerful. And God, I know you're good to me. May God, by his spirit, give you grace in your heart today to respond to his goodness to you. Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer? Every head is bowed as our musicians play just for a moment. Every head bowed just for a moment. What's the gospel? It's not good advice. Advice is something you're recommending to be done. I have no advice for you this morning. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. News is the report of something that's already been done. The gospel is very simple. We are sinful beyond belief, yet we're loved beyond measure. We are so sinful Jesus had to die for us, yet we're so loved he was glad to die for us. 
The gospel means no one is so good they don't need the grace of God and no one is so bad they can't receive the grace of God. My friend, we don't get into the kingdom by proving how good we are. We get in by admitting how flawed we are. Because salvation is not a paycheck for being good. And if you're here and you're spiritually dry or spiritually weak and your prayer life has been dormant, if you're here, maybe you're anxious and hurried because of misplaced priorities. If you're here and you're angry because someone has hurt you or you're bitter because there's someone you need to forgive. If you're here and you're allowing alcohol to destroy your brain cells and other substances to steal oxygen out of your bloodstream and years off your life. If you're here and you're allowing pornography to pollute your thought life, it's a distraction. If you're here and you're in a relationship that's not pushing you closer to Jesus. If you're here and you're giving any evil reports about other people or you have a critical spirit towards anyone in your life. If you're addicted to anything that's made you, made you a slave to it. Maybe you're here and you're unwilling to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. Are you more concerned about what people think, your image, than what God thinks, your condition? Are you willing to take a step now, today, so that God can bring change where change is needed? If you're here and you know there's something that God is wanting to change inside your heart, and today you're willing to give God permission. There are indicators, I just mentioned several, that Jesus wants to capture your heart fully. If you're here and you know there's something that God is wanting to change, and today you're willing to give God permission to bring change where change is needed. If that's you, would you just slip your hand, hold it up until I can see it, if that's you. You know, in every section, go ahead, just slip it up. You know there's, you know there's something that God is wanting to change inside your heart, and you're willing to be transparent. Humility gives you access to God. God resists the proud, but humility will give us access. God, I pray today you'll bring change where change is needed. Can we all stand together just for a moment? Let's all stand together. Pastor Randy's coming to dismiss us in just a moment. Before he does, I want to pray with you before you leave. And here's what I like to do. I'm going to ask every one of you, first of all, that slipped up your hand, would you just step out of your seat and come and stand across the front? I want us to, we're going to pray together. This is a safe place. Word of life is a safe place. So you don't have to be afraid or you don't have to be nervous. Just step out of your seat. Every one of you that slipped up your hand and just come and stand down to the front here. Would you, on either side, just, just move out of your, and just come down and, st and stand down to the front. Because God is good and his kindness leads us to repentance. Repentance means to turn or to change from where we are to where God wants us to go. And God knows where you live. Just, just make room. Just move in as close as you can. We're going to pray together. We're going to believe God. We're going to ask the Lord. We're going to ask the Lord by his grace and by his spirit. Your family and friends will wait for you. Just be a moment. This is the most important part of this moment for you. Because we make our decisions. And then our decisions make us. So let's pray this together. Everyone in the house, let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your word to my heart. And today, Jesus, I give you permission to bring change where change is needed. Today, Lord, I submit myself 
to your authority. And today, Lord, I thank you that you are good, that you are merciful, and that you are jealous for your glory in my life to be a light to the world. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing and answering my prayer. Father, I thank you for every man and woman, young person in this, on this campus, God, in every room. God, I thank you. I thank you for your church, Lord, that you're building. And today, Lord, by the Spirit of God, today, Lord, I pray, God, you'd lasso our attention, arrest our attention. Help us, God, not to focus on the minimal requirements of being in relationship with you. But God, help us as we sang earlier. Pastor was talking about going all in our hearts, loving, loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We thank you, Lord, you made it possible. We thank you, Lord, you made it probable. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit, the Word of God. Change us, Jesus, is our prayer from the inside out.